Hello, friends, and welcome to So Poetry, the occasional uh, poetry conversation podcast. I am your host, Michael Zuloff, um, and I'm excited to be with y'all again. I am also really, really excited to talk to my guest, um, Liz Clayton Schofield, going by Clay and using they, them, their pronouns, is a cloud, an orange, and a sonnet, seeking like-minded nebulous accumulations, citrus fruits, and poetic forms to play with across skies, trees, and pages. They are an inter interdisciplinary artist, writer, wanderer, play advocate, and collaborator. Uh, so, Clay, thank you so much for being on So Poetry. Uh, it's a pleasure yeah, to have you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, so, is there anything, uh, I guess, we know a lot about, uh, given, given that bio, we know, I guess, sort of like aesthetically about yourself, but is there anything else that you would like to, to say about who you are and what you've been up to uh, recently? <laughs> Yeah, sure. Well, yeah, I feel like I, over the many years, slowly crafting a bio that also captures my sensibilities and <laughs> towing the line. I mean, yeah, you know. Um, you, gotta, you gotta build that brand. Yeah, going away from the typical bio, that's a list of accomplishments <laughs> and um, trying to capture sense of play and yeah. So that was a nice introduction. Um, other than that, to get into the list of accomplishments, because people do want to know, like, you know, yeah. okay, like, what are you doing? Where are you doing those things? Um, uh, right now, I'm in um, Iowa City, uh, studying poetry with, at the Writers' Workshop. Um, I moved here from Baltimore back in August. Um, so I've been spending a lot of more focused time in writing and reading and thinking about poetry. Um, and that's within the context of interdisciplinary art practice. Um, I have a, another, I'm doubling my MFAs. So my past MFA um, is, or it's not past, you know, I got it, but they didn't take it away. Um, they didn't have to like give it back to come here but um that would be, that would be terrifying if there was just <laughs> some committee that could like take away your your degree if you yeah if, like you didn't put it to good use or you just didn't do anything with it for so many years they're just like oh no we're gonna they just show up at your house in like suits and they just take it back from you yeah they revoke your degree but yet somehow <laughs> you still owe student loans yes um <laughs> of course mm -hmm. uh yeah, so I studied digital art. I've been practicing as an artist for um, a while and, and you know, reflecting the bio too, like all of the creative practices think of, I'm thinking about play um, as sort of a grounding force between them all. Um, so I've been, yeah, been doing some more research directly on play and poetry and play here and, um, yeah, that's some about me. <laughs> it's it's interesting. I don't know why I just I didn't put this together until just now, but um, I don't know if if UB's uh, MFA program is still geared as much towards uh, play um, as it was when Kendrick Kapelke was at the helm. Because I think that like the, when I was in school there, um, the sort of underlying mantra of the program was plork which is a portmanteau of play and work. Um, and Kendra uh, herself very much embodied the like, how did she describe it? It was like, like playing and like playing and sort of messing around and seeing what happens, but being very serious about that undertaking. Um, 
and it's interesting that like that that is part of your maybe not like academic or scholarly but part of your like artistic pursuit is the the intersection of play and poetry and the fact that like the kindred was very much also the intersection of play and poetry and I, it feels like i don't know for it to happen once feels like it's an interesting thing but the fact that there's like two people that i know that are dealing with this feels like it is a i don't know that there's some some sort of like underlying truth to that um yeah. But yeah, I didn't know that about your program. How do you feel about play? Like, how do you play? Um, you know, I don't know. I was I was thinking about this when I was going through the program, because um, I have very distinctive memories when I was younger of like I had tons of action figures, um, you know, like Batman, Spider Man, all the like the main comic book things. I had a couple of weird like Jurassic Park like toy line spinoffs that was like two or three generations removed from the movie. I had a, a one that was this weird, the name of the, the, the name of the cartoon was Cadillacs and dinosaurs. Um, and it was a like post-apocalyptic, um, I guess like environmental cartoon in which humanity fucked up the environment enough that the dinosaurs came back for some reason. So you had like, dinosaurs hanging out and then you had dudes that worked on cars and they rode around like you know these wastelands in a cadillac and there'd just be like herds of dinosaurs by it i was like this is like i'm not a car person but i was very i'm very much a dinosaur person so i was like well okay i can i can forgive them there being cars but um and i had like legos and you know like uh connects and all that type of stuff but it feels like there was a certain point that i just sort of like stopped doing that um mm -hmm. and i don't really know why and i don't really know at what age that that sort of just stopped but it definitely just like ceased um and i don't really know like what took the place of it and i don't really know because i like i still have like I, I still daydream sort of on occasion and stuff so i, I don't mm -hmm. like my imagination is not um I don't know i guess like super atrophied but um it, it's definitely not like i i definitely feel like if i was put in the situation that i had to play with toys again i would probably feel fairly self-conscious about mm -hmm. that um and and i don't really know like I don't know. I don't really, I don't know what that, what that says about me and sort of my relationship to it. But I also like to your question, like, I honestly don't know what I do for play. I don't think that that's really a thing that like, that like comes to mind as a, um, I don't know, just like an activity or a thing that I should be like thinking about or pursuing. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I think that's a really common narrative and it's like, we're so, uh, especially into adulthood, focused on productivity and so what does it mean play specifically an activity for its own sake beyond productivity um and so like what you were mentioning with like the seriousness of play i'm also really interested in this concept of deep play um diane ackerman wrote a book about it um called deep play but there's some other um other texts out there that so deep play then is the specific kind of play that is like immersive and like like akin to a, a flow state. So like mm. deep play, like getting into this flow state of um, creative play where you might sort of like have this sort of meditative 
state of play that is like so immersive that there's a risk to it or a danger oh. almost. Okay. Um, so, and, and through that, it's like, that can take many forms, but I'm curious too, like thinking about um, how you approach climbing or silks or like those, you know, like for me, I, you know, biking is like, there are the yoga is play, biking mm -hmm. is play, meditation even for me is a, is a, is a curious state of play at times, yeah. you know, not always, but um, yeah. And, and, and so building those practices and approaching like poetry, especially as deep play and like getting into this like risk and like really approaching like what is what is the meditative flow state of play into a poem and so like almost in that like a poem maybe emerges from this play process yeah um well just thinking, yeah. thinking about like doing things like if you if you i guess if you take a super broad um definition of play as an activity that is done just for the sake of itself or the sake of its own enjoyment um like i would definitely put in um silks and climbing as things that like you know there's I mean, like for silks i've done some showcases and stuff before but i'm not really working towards performance when i do them it's just it's i do i do them because i enjoy the activity of it mm -hmm. um and i think I think for my, for personally, for me, poetry probably exists on that same plane, at least for right now. Cause like, I haven't really published anything and I don't know how long. Um, and yet I'm still writing poetry and it's just, it's a thing that I do. Although I do enjoy the act of it, but it does feel almost more of a, not compulsion, but definitely edging towards that. Like, this is a thing that I need to do in order to, to like function correctly in the world as myself. And if I didn't do that, it would detrimentally impact sort of the way that I navigate life and just the, the things that are external and internal of me. Um, but there is a sense of like, you know, it's like I'm, I'm writing and there are others, all these other um, aspects of it that are sort of, I guess, connected, but at the very core of it, it's like, I do this thing at least for right now. It's like, there's no real other goal or or um motive towards it it's just like i write just to to write to just mm -hmm. to do it um which i never really thought about before that that like things that are like play could be described as just an activity that is done for the the sake of its own enjoyment um which i actually yeah, that's a very like you know brief uh working definition but and there are like other, yeah. you know, other qualifiers um, and, and play is like one of those big terms that, or, you know, sort of elusive terms um, and defining it gets complicated, but I think a very, very basic, broad, you know, working definition can be that, um, which is just useful in our conversation, but also that, yeah, like it gets blurry when we're adults and we're thinking of like, okay, like you were talking about with poet, like this need, like there is this purpose, um, but also there is play and something doesn't always, you know, it's the things that we do aren't, you know, sometimes I bike cause I need exercise, but sometimes <laughs> like, <laughs> 
it's just being with that and you know playing and yeah and uh, i guess i guess that thinking about that to that point but like there was definitely a time when i was living at my parents that my brother and i would go on walks and go on bike rides that you know it's like we would just we wanted to be out we wanted to be go we wanted to be out doing something um and just that sense of like like adventure with a lowercase a of just out and experiencing things and not really having having a destination and not really having a game plan you just go out and you just go and you just you wind up where you wind up you're out for as long as you're out um i it feels i mean i it's it really it, it sucks so much <laughs> that we live currently in a society that like as you get older the i guess like the the sort of blurry edges around your life or the sort of blurry unoccupied time or like unincorporated times that you have get more rigid and sort of get more petrified then it falls into like well if you're not doing this you should be doing this or you have to be doing this um like as i guess your responsibilities increase um and the the number of the hours in the day stays the same that's like you know there's things that get edged out over other things and usually it's the things that are responsibilities or things that like oh i that like that sort of uh the weight of i have to do this for mm -hmm. any number of reasons um like edge out a lot of the sort of time that you could just not have anything that you have to like boredom i think is a um i've heard that it's like the um the kids i don't want to be like kids today quote unquote um <laughs> but I've, i feel like i've seen some research that like the the whole idea of like boredom is a sort of necessary aspect to creativity or just mm -hmm. innovation or just things that, you know, it's like, and I, I could definitely remember the times that I've been, you know, like when I was a kid, I was just bored. I just, there was, I know that I had things to do. I just was totally disinterested in all of them. And then that was usually when my brother and I would go on a bike ride and, you know, like yeah. just have some experience versus now where like, there are so many things that you can pour your attention and time into um, mm -hmm. and there's not, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of, maybe not incentive, but a lot of like space to just kind of be bored or to have like nothing to do because you can scroll on your phone and there's apps and there's social media and there's all these things that you can engage with. And, you know, like that, like, I mean, I don't, I, it doesn't, it feels like it's not as like black and white or clear cut as that, but it, I have just personally noticed that there's a huge shift from when I was a kid and like didn't have the internet, didn't have a cell phone or had a cell phone that didn't have internet connection and the sort of like, well, you know, I got to go find something to do because I've read all the books in my room. There's nothing on TV. Yeah. I've played all these video games that I've played, you know, any number of times. So it's like, okay, well, what, what am I going to go do? And then you just go, you find something to do. Um, yeah. I, I, I mean, I think there's definitely a boredom, boredom shortage and like you know kids to adults it's like yeah you can pick up your phone and scroll and for me it's like that's you know I, I it's so interesting to like you know study myself and like if I have like an app on my phone and like the impulse to like check it and refresh it and like just like delete you know even deleting it from the home screen or like going off or like you know just checking things on my computer just like 
to break the cycle of like picking it up and going to it and like how quickly you can just like shift that habit. But this like connects to of a big part of my creative practice or practice in being is like it and it connects to play. And like, as I mentioned to it, meditation can be really playful to me, not always, but like at times, like there's this sense of joy and rapture and play. Um, but that, that practice has been, and developing that practice has been so essential as like the foundation of like developing my poetry practice and um, that sense of space and like the ability to like sit and stare at a wall. Like I think like so much cr creative labor is like sitting and staring at a wall and not like interrupting your mind. And for me, meditation is like flushing it out. So, mm. you know, I, yeah, I spend as much time, not as much, but every day, you know, meditating. Sometimes I meditate, you know, I'll do like once a month, like a four or five hour, you know, meditation retreat thing. Um, but that's really like, I need that to make the space for any, any of my creative work at this point. And I, you know, I was making art and working as an artist before I had a meditation practice. Um, but like the other stuff that come, like, I think we also have to, this is a tangent, but I am, this is something I've been thinking about um, that, um, yeah, as, as artists, as poets, as people engaging in creative activity, which I hope is everyone, like everyone, you know, everyone I think needs aspects of play in their life and that connects to creativity. Um, but these practices, um, uh, part of being, the, the work, creative labor is hard work. You know, it's like, it's, it's yeah. a lot of energy. It's like, you're, you need to be able to approach your darkness, your shadow, like the world, like all, everything. And that, you know, that takes, I think, a lot of care. Um, making that work possible takes a lot of care for yourself. Yeah. I think that's counter. This is why I'm interested because this has come up recently. I think that's counter to this like mythology that we have of, this like long-standing myth of like artists and poets being you know kind of unhealthy or you know embracing like but it's like it's so much easier to say like oh I'm an artist so yeah like I'll be unhealthy like because you're engaging in this work and it's hard and it's like you aren't then taking the extra labor of like taking care of yourself yeah that can look different for many people that I think and like yeah being able to approach things with a sense of play also lightens that um yeah i was i was gonna say that um one of the things that that so the um i don't know what the what this class is like now um that some of the like the founders of the mfa program at ub have, have left or retired um but my the very first class that i took at ub was a class called uh ways of seeing or i think we, we shortened it to like creativity class um and everyone kept a creativity journal. We had different like, you know, like homework as in exercises of one, the one, one of the ones that I remember very distinctly was we had um, three different pieces of music and you, you were tasked to listen to that piece of music. Um, and like the, the first time that you listened to it um, to just like doodle or draw continuously on a page. Um, 
and you were encouraged to like change your stance or go like you know if you if you habitually sit somewhere and write to like get up and you know like put your your notebook on a wall and draw on the wall while you're listening to this thing um and the two the two kind of core lessons that i took from that class was which is weird and feels sort of paradoxical given given the fact that like the UB program was like serious about play, but the ethos of like, just don't take shit so seriously, um, mm -hmm. which to your point, you know, it's like, if there's a lot of, um, I think that there's a lot of pressure. Um, I mean that everybody puts on themselves, but I think that that is exponentially true for artists that there is this, um, I don't know, this drive or this, pa because you have this drive or this passion that there is this pressure that you put in just on, I, I see artists putting on themselves to, to be like creative and to be generative um, and to just to engage in their art and be open to all of these things. Um, and the, as it coincides with the other thing that I took from that class is, you know, it's like be willing to just try out a bunch of shit, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and the fact that the, when those two are paired together, like trying out a bunch of stuff and then not taking everything so seriously or not being so like, like death grip of everything it allows instances when something doesn't work out it shifts the perception of that or the perspective of that from like this is a failure to oh okay well that didn't work let me try something else that's like there's that that the fact that it didn't work out hits or it's like the the weight of that is much much less when it, you're just sort of like free form and you're just trying to like well i'll try this if that doesn't work i'll try this if that doesn't work you know it's like that that it keeps things lighter and it keeps things airier versus like well i tried this and i failed and it's like i suck and i'm never gonna get this and then you just get like you get saddled with that weight on you um and yeah and that's so much sorry no 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 uh, that's that's so much like how we attach to things. If you remove, if you start to like separate yourself from what you're producing and even from other people, you know, like if this isn't driven by ego of like me as the I poet authority making this thing that is a statement of my personal value, if we're just all inherently valuable and in exploring this, then I'm not attached to like, what is this poem? This poem isn't representative of my value. It's it's separate of me. It exists. It, and, and also it's all connected to all of us. And I happen to be like, you know, forming it and, and bringing it into here, but it doesn't define me or anything and it exists. And, um, you know, like if, if I'm pursuing play and like there was something that like revealed itself in the process of crafting this poem, um then that's interesting to me like you know this and, and you brought up failure and I think like I'm I'm really I'm interested or like I support like it's like yes let me fail like <laughs> let me be mediocre like I am not striving for a like I think people get hung up and blocked by trying like trying to assess like is this poem good is this poem bad and when people like someone asked that recently about their work that it was like you know a friend like getting stuck on this and it comes up for all like doubt is part of this like yes mm -hmm. i want to doubt my work i want to doubt like what's coming out of it because then i might be curious and change something and experiment but yeah good and bad is like an irrelevant question to me like 
I'm not pursuing a good poem. I'm not, I'm not trying to write, you know, not trying to craft a, I'm trying to be authentically like, like me in a poem, which I guess goes against my attachment, but or like <laughs> the thing that I'm saying about attachment, but trying to like play with this voice and experiment and find something in a very exploratory sense, which, you know, <laughs> yes, let me fail. Like, yeah, well, yeah it's very queer. Like the queerness of failure is all like, you know, um, yeah, that's an important aspect to me. And I think that, well, so two, two things that I, I want to, I want to remark on that the idea <laughs> of like failure is, I think, or maybe maybe not necessarily failure, but just if we if we soften it or like make it not as heavy as that, just like things not working out. Mm-hmm. I think things not working out is our um, the the experience of a thing not happening the way that you want or not working out the way that you want. Um, I think is a one of the best teachers in a given experience because if you like if you do a thing and it works out that's great if you do a thing and it doesn't work out then there's all these like then you have a chance to sort of dissect it and to process it and to figure out like okay well why didn't that work what did i do because i feel like i feel like more often than not i don't know if this is actually the case but this is the sense that i get that if you are successful um people aren't super critical of their successes, but people are very critical of their failures, which I think is maybe a double-edged sword because, you know, it's like you would, I would, I would think that people would want to assess like, okay, well, why did this work out? Mm-hmm. Or that, you know, like successes are, are only so critical. And when they're set up um, sort of like in comparison to things that didn't work out, you have the, you know, it's like, well, this did, this didn't, what happened, what, what was the difference between the two? But in general, I feel like when things don't work out, um, it sort of like begets a, a self-analysis or just a, a period of sort of fi- trying to figure out what happened. And I think that can be very, very instructive to whatever it is that you're doing because you're like, oh, okay, well, I did this. But, and it's like, oh, well, I should have done that. I probably should have done this. And then you can try it again. You know, it's like you like a scientist testing, testing hypotheses. That's like, okay, well, I did this and this happened. But I'm thinking that I could probably do it this other way, and I don't know what, what will happen there. It's like maybe it'll work, maybe it won't work. And then you can try and like, okay, well, that got me closer, but you know, so you can start d- dialing in and you can really sort of like figure out like, okay, well, what's, why does this work and why doesn't it work? Um, and I think that's like, that's a, for like, for someone to have success after success after success, I feel like would, it's like, that's fantastic and that's great, but it also feels like it is, maybe eventually going to be a detriment because there's not it doesn't lend itself to that type of self-reflection throughout the Mm -hmm. process um and the other thing that i I wanted to to sort of comment on is i have a working theory i developed this a handful of years ago but i have a working theory on um that there is no such thing as a good or a bad piece of art Mm. and i've gotten some pushback from from some (laughs) friends of mine about this idea but the way that i sort of boiled it down to was that like if art is expression and all expression is subjective then there's no rubric um sort of dealing with capital a art i'm attached to my pillow by some random <laughs> um there's no rubric to judge these things um you can't like there's no rubric to judge someone's expression 
versus someone else's expression because like you said it's like it's a personal thing it's they're, they're being like it's a it's a product of themselves and one self is very different from another self even you know like if the same person a year ago to like a year ago self to current self it can be wildly different people um but if you had like let's say you had a sonnet like if there's a rubric or there's certain rules that a sonnets follow typically mm. you know it's like there's a certain rhyme scheme there's a certain um like a meter that you have to work with there's usually um i feel like there's usually topics that are sort of dealt with in sonnets but so if you have a sonnet and someone writes something that doesn't follow those rules and they were trying to write a sonnet then you could say it's like okay well this is a shitty sonnet because it like there's a there's that that sort of objective rubric that you have to look at or like a villanelle or you know anything any sort of like regular form or like very formalistic writing um but like outside of that i, th- I or think it's a genius sonnet like redefining the form <laughs> right, yeah, or like because i i don't know i don't know where i encountered this and i don't know if this is like all e.e e. cummings poems or like a particular collection that he wrote but the the idea was that like or the the thing that i read posited that like the the poems that e.e e. cummings was writing were very very deconstructed sonnets and like they followed the rules and did the things that they were supposed to do, but he took it to like a, like he pushed the form to the, like the limit that it could be pushed to, which small tangent, the, the whole idea of like, you know, you have to learn the rules before you break them. I don't agree with, I think that you can, you can fully break the rules if you don't know what they are, but I think that it's, it's beneficial to learn the rules so that you can, you can, you learn like how far you could push a thing until it breaks. So like the sonnet thing, it's like, if you learn the rules of the sonnet, you, and you really internalize them and really get them, then you know, like, oh, I can like, I can flex here and I can bend here and I can push here. And I'm still like, it's still technically a sonnet versus just like going in blind and just, you know, don't not hitting any of the fucking marks and then being like, oh, it's a sonnet or deconstruct the sonnet, whatever. And it's like, well, no, but I think for me, (laughs) the the similar similar to what you said that like it's asking if a thing is a is good or bad is sort of like a uh like it that's not the correct question for me Mm -hmm. the correct question is like how effective was this piece of art at conveying whatever it is that the artist was trying to convey Mm -hmm. and that to me is like i think a lot of the pitfalls that that especially poets usually early poets fall into um that would make a poem read as quote unquote bad is just like not being or not conveying what they're trying to convey in the most effective or evocative way. So they, you know, like using sentimentality or using cliches or writing like, you know, like um, biting the style of another poet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like they haven't, de- they haven't developed their own voice or they, they don't either haven't developed or don't trust them their own way of experiencing things enough to like give yeah. that or maybe just don't have enough experience of conveying what it is that they how they experience the world into this piece of art um and i think that's like i feel like most bad stuff quote unquote is just like it's just early or it's just like or either early like the the poet that's writing it is young by age or the poet is just young in their sort of writing practice and that just given time and just given doing it a lot more you kind of refine 
these things and yeah. you, you figure out like that authentic like oh this is how i want to say this and this is the language that i can use to say it so that i can get the person reading it to like at least the the type of poetry that i really uh gravitate towards is very um, like emotionally um evocative and it's like i need to know how to describe a thing and what word choices to use to make you feel what i want you to feel in this moment or like in the poem overall um yeah. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, yeah, and there's like a sweet spot too, because like on the other side of like what is technically good, that is too refined, that mm -hmm. has been too sterilized to like in in striving for this quote unquote good poem. But it's interesting, yeah, it, it's like in, let's see, yeah, and I wouldn't go so far as this, like I think there's good and bad stuff, but yeah, like you said, like I don't think that that's, that's the interesting question to me. And yeah. I read a lot of like good, you know, poetry, like canonized poetry. I don't read a lot of it. I try to read some of it. I feel like, you know, and then I don't want to. And, you know, I read, um, you know, contemporary poets or people who I feel like a kinship to. And that's what is like more inspiring to me and that I connect with. But um I also <laughs> saw a meme of Oprah on it today on the internet. That was, you know, Oprah's like saying like, basically like the more you align authentically with your own personality, like the more you align your purse, your purpose with your authentic personality, that's like how you are successful. That's a bad paraphrase, but I just, I loved that Oprah was saying this and I was like, yes, like, finding your own like authentic personality or voice as a poet and expressing that like beyond like what is the expectation of like what a how a poet conveys um any idea or yeah. emotion well that's, that's um, one of the like i love one of my absolute favorite poets is mary oliver um and i i had a doctor's appointment earlier in the week um and I knew that I'd be waiting around, so I, I picked out uh, her collection, uh, House of Light, just because I haven't read it in a while. And I was like, yeah, I, you know, I probably have like 20 minutes to kill, whatever. Um, and I forgot how like, like how playful she is in some of her poems. That, that she's just like writing stuff that feels like, I don't know, that like if it feels like borderline transgressive to write a poem that way with like that sort of voice about that sort of those sort of topics and like oh okay you're doing some stuff that you're just like it's it's a weird sort of counterpoint to um bukowski as a poet mm -hmm. that like i have i have very mixed feelings about him but i definitely i think as most most male body poets have like a bukowski period mine was like yeah. mercifully short um but one of the things that i think one of the the big lessons that i learned from him is that like he honestly just didn't give a fuck like he wrote the way that he wanted to write about the things that he wanted to write about um and he didn't he didn't care he just that's like that was the the cultivated perspective or cultivated like voice that he wanted to have and like despite all the other shit about Bukowski and I know that like him being a white dude puts him in a kind of, like puts him in that position of privilege that he is allowed to not care about what other people say about his writing. Um, mm -hmm. 
and that space to kind of just fuck it and do whatever it is that he wants. But there is like, I guess like the core act of that, of just like, you know, big middle finger up to everybody. It's like, you know, fuck you. I'm going to write what I want to write. It's like, that's, that is a, in, in a way can be inspiring towards like, similarly with Mary Oliver. It's like, she just, she did it. She had her voice. She had the way that she saw the world and she expressed it and she put it out there. And like, it's, it's really, I don't know, like heartening to know that there are that like, like you said, it's like, you can just, you can be like mediocre. You can try things. It's like, you don't have to be the best. It's just, mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're you, I like that to me is like, that's more important or that's way more, maybe not important, but way more interesting to me. It's like, oh, I don't care if you're good or not. It's like, if you're, if you're express if your art comes from a place that feels like it is intrinsically tied to you as a person, like I'm all like it can be messy, it can be sloppy, it can be whatever. It's like I'm all for that. Um, mm-hmm. I honestly think that that's why. Like, there's a lot of um, a lot of bands that I have or that I listen to that I really prefer like their demos to their later, more like professionally recorded stuff because it feels like it. It there's something about those recordings that feel like it's way more like intimate and personal and vulnerable and it's like sloppy and it's not as pristine and there's not all the separation between the instruments. It's just like you're there mm-hmm. with them in either their practice space or at a live show. And it's like, that's what I, that's art doing what art does. You know, it's like, yeah. it's, it's, it's being lived in. And mm-hmm. there's some, like there's power in that. Um, I mean, the whole fucking punk movement, I feel like, is, is you know, it is it's sort of the embodiment of, like, you don't have to be good. You just got to have fun doing what yeah. it is, you know, just doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just thinking of, like, intimacy with that. Just, it's connection and intimacy when you show up more authentically when you're more vulnerable um yeah i think that's one of the reasons why i really enjoy poetry as a medium because you can get like i know it's probably a false intimacy but it feels way more like immediately emotionally close um with like like poems as themselves and then the sort of transitive property into the poet um and as someone that uh connects with and sort of uh imprints on people emotionally i'm like okay yeah i you're speaking my language <laughs> you're gonna tell yeah. me you're gonna tell me what you saw on this walk all right i'm there i'm with you i yeah. feel like i know you let's go do this um but uh speaking of all of this um <laughs> how did how did poetry happen for you like what was what was your how did like how did this become a thing that you are now pursuing an mfa in that's a good question it's so interesting i you know it's something that people here ask a bit like when did you start writing because some people you know start writing late and i have been a you know i was in seventh grade carrying around a journal with all these poems in it and writing like 10 poems a day and making everyone read them in my like insufferable way. Um, And so I was that kid. Um, I definitely, yeah, I've always written and I always loved writing poetry. Um, Do you, do you remember the first like collection of poetry or the first poem that you encountered? 
Oh, that's a good question. I don't. Do you? No, I mean, I feel like it would be probably a stretch to call like the Dr. Seuss books or like um, Go Dogs Go or The Giving Tree is like poetry. But I mean, I I had I had kids books, yeah. um, you know, like early reader type things. Um, but like I, I came to poetry like, I mean... I was writing poems, I guess, towards the end of grade school, um, but I didn't really, like, it didn't really click with me until halfway through grad school, honestly. Wow. Grad um, school studying poetry. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> um, Maybe I, it'll still click for me. Maybe it hasn't clicked yet and I just don't know it. Well, so, like, this is this is another question that I typically ask, um, or I'm, I, it's, I'm interested in asking my... Um, my guess of like if do you have there been like shifts in your writing that you can you know like um i guess like period like an artistic period that you like you know up until age whatever you were in this you're in your blue period and then from this age this age you were like in this period yeah definitely when i was young i was you know yeah writing a lot of very depressed poems um to cope with being you know a kid or a teenager um <laughs> And then, so it's, it, yeah, and then I went to college and I thought that I intended to study writing in college, but got there and was like, not for me, like the sort of my poems in this workshop, my first semester. And then I, I had been dabbling in visual art, but it was like, I was always writing and that was like my primary outlet um, when, when I was younger. And then I went and started studying well I studied I was I, I got into like sound art and like very like conceptual because I was also like a songwriter back in this this is a former life too so I wrote a bunch <laughs> of songs in this time and so in, in college I got into like experimental composition and sound art and doing like sound installation and you know very like poetry was so much had been so much more emotional and I just did this like switch to like wanting to be very conceptual and theoretical with my work and like think about like more like formal ideas and working out ideas and things. Um, and so I ended up, you know, working and in, going into like more performance art and then kept writing and my art, my interdisciplinary art practice often start you know my sketchbook was a lot of writing like performances came out of writing and text was always a component in those works or in video i went to grad school for an mfa in digital art working focusing on video and performance predominantly and sound and installation and sculpture um and the work has been poetic um but there was a way that like I found like ground and like sort of over conceptualizing things or like could like feel valuable about like the theory behind them. And, um, and that became my focus and still like writing. Um, but it wasn't the, it wasn't the practice I was putting in the world sort of as a, as sort of professional artist. Mm -hmm. Um, and so then finishing school, I started like writing these, uh, I wrote the, I got the opportunity to the 
write some quirky essays over time, like mostly published with a, a publication called Number that was based in the Southeast. That was an art, art, a regional arts publication. Um, and they just sort of let me write my weird essays and kept publishing them. They, you know, they had themes for their journal. And so I really sort of, sort of like started to write more um, and, and publish like in this way of like these kind of hybrid art, interdisciplinary poetry essays, which was really fun for me and really started to make me, yeah, feel more confident and like sort of weaving together how I wanted to write. And then mm-hmm. they were a publication that gave me the freedom to write um, in kind of a, a little bit offbeat way. Um, and so still would have my own poetry practice. And and then, you know, here and there I've published poems over the years, but really like beginning of COVID, uh, being on, in lockdown was like, how does art, you know, you couldn't go see art. I couldn't perform mm-hmm. and I craved intimacy and I, I love reading and books and have always loved writing. So it's like, oh, this is a time I can like, build my writing craft like this is what like I want to write a book like okay what's the structure to like support this I was like furloughed from my job for like two months over the summer and I was like I'm gonna write a book in this two months and like (laughs) that's how I am I'm like two months let's write a book it was like oh it takes a little bit more time than two months you're tired and the world is like collapsing and you're protesting every day and like you are stressed about life you're not gonna like write a book right now Mm -hmm. but it made me realize it was something I wanted to do um and I also didn't want to be at my job anymore. So when I went back to work and then was furloughed again that for the fall, I was like, well, I should apply to school. And, you know, what's a way to, like, get time and resources to write this book that I want to write yeah. and be at this job? So that's a more complete story of, like, <laughs> how did I how did I end up back in an MFA program? And, like, you yeah, know, twist of life. It was a surprise. I mean, kind of like these things always have to be, right? They're not really things that you plan for. You just like prepare yourself to make yourself available to opportunities. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, th- I think that's in related in a, I guess, sort of tangentially related way that I think is one of the reasons why I've loved the artist residencies um, that I've done so far is that you, it's, the ability to sort of open yourself up to just creativity at large um, mm-hmm. and not have any any of the other, like being that open to just creativity into the process of it and not having any other things that would be damaging only in the sense of like it takes, it eats away your time and attention of, you know, like having a job or paying bills or just all these other things that you like have to do in a normal quote unquote life. Um, you know, I went to the, um, Vermont studio center, uh, for Mm -hmm. a month, uh, the month of June in 2017, I think. Um, and it was an eye opening experience of what it, what it would feel like to be like just a poet instead of all these other things that I'm doing and all the other like hats that I'm wearing and all the other activities that I'm, that I'm engaged with to just like a month of just being a poet and it was absolutely amazing um yeah yeah let's talk about it. so i'm also i didn't do this at the beginning but i'm i'm on the 
Um, I love residencies have been also so formative for me. Um, and so I'm on the board of um, really, of course, I think a really amazing organization called the School of Making Thinking, which is a residency and experimental school um, that travels around. So I and I, I um, got involved with SMT through doing residencies, but there are these um, yeah, like you said, like these like spaces of intentional community where there's care for each other to like, you know, we like cook meals together and build this community and take care of each other so that we can do the sort of the deep creative work. And their themes are so they're all like sort of thematically. I will facilitate a residency this summer towards the end of the summer. Uh, it's a VR residency. So um, working with immersive video, it's called Immersion. Um, and that's in Wilmington, North Carolina. That and so like- So fucking cool. Yeah, so that's so huge. That's so, I mean, part of, a big part of me wanting to uh, like participating and, you know, making as an artist and poet is, is like this so that we can talk about it so that we can build community about it so I can make friends through it. It's like, really, you know, it's like, what am I doing to make art? It's like, so I can participate in the conversations that I want to be a part of. Yeah. Um, mostly it's like, do I really care that I like made a, a sculpture? It's like, no, I care about like, does the sculpture like give me access to like have the exciting conversations and be in the communities that I want to be in? I mean, that's, that's so the huge. reason that I fucking started this podcast was that it was yeah. like I no longer had access because I, I started this right after we, I graduated from the MFA and I found myself um, bereft of having the conversations that I had like with my classmates after class. We'd go hit Dionysus or go hit um, the Owl Bar and just hang out for a couple of hours talking about whatever the hell we, we did in class that night. And I was like, oh, wow. I didn't realize how much of this, like how, how important these types of um, these like moments of community and, and can like artistic connection were to me. And I was like, I got to figure out a way to get back into <laughs> to having these. Cause I can't like, this can't be it. I can't have them for three years and then just not have them anymore. It's like, that's unacceptable to me. Well, it says so much to get back to sort of tie in these things of like the demands of life. It's like, why is it that we have to depend on these academic institutions to give us space to be able to have that community? That community should be able to exist. And I know that we get pulled away with other responsibilities and other demands that mm -hmm. we end up having to prioritize because, you know, we have to eat and survive in this society. But yeah, why is that? How, why is that, you know, how are society is built and for the, the prioritization of of what happens it's like community is essential especially over the past two years we've seen what happens when we're isolated from it like yep. those structures so key to our well-being and like our creating and yeah it's a it's a thing that the university offers and in, in its weird complicated powers it's like why is it the space also of refuge um and yeah why are they yeah yeah. Residencies are a space that offer it, but they're and and part of their power is being their own like containers where it's safe to like try out other societies, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I it really like it's 
I I know that there are residencies out there that are basically like there's one in um, Taos, I think New Mexico. I think it's yeah. Mexico. Um, One of my good poet friends here is from Taos. Oh, nice. That's like the Helen Wurzer Foundation or something like that. Yeah. Um, the Helene Wurt, whatever. Um, but from what I remember reading, it's basically it's like you have your own little like artist hut. And if you don't want to see and interact with anybody, you don't see or interact with anybody. Like meals can be brought to your thing. You can just stay in your space. You can just do whatever. And it's like in, in the time of COVID, that sounds really awesome. But the like the two residencies that I've done so far, uh, Art Farm and the Studio Center, were very much like a communal you know, it's mm -hmm. like, it's the community that makes it, ha it's like, I spent so many, so many times, like so many hours hanging out in like artists, like visual artists studios at the studio center. Um, mm -hmm. And they're just like hanging out, talking, writing with just the other writers that were there. Um, yeah. The cross pollination too is so good. Yeah. That's one. Yeah. That's one thing that is harder to like, there are a lot of writers in the workshop and I, and it's so exciting to have those conversations and I'm like, why also is the university so siloed? There's so many, you know, yeah. trying to find the painters and the, I'm working on it. I'm getting close to finding them. Um, <laughs> I just imagine you going out at like at night with a flashlight and like, uh, um, like a fedora type style hat with like the press thing stuck in the in the yeah. band just like trying to sleuth out where they are through the snow yeah i'm digging in the <laughs> snow to find them i'm on the trail oh man so what like do you i know that you were talking about um that like you are very interdisciplinary when it comes to art um mm -hmm. be it like visual or just you know like sound stuff like do you now that you were you're maybe not like focusing primarily on, but there's a lot more attention that you're giving to poetry. Like, do you, do you feel the sort of influence or the, um, I don't know, like the, the coloring or the presence of your other art forms, like in your poetry? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some of my writing is documentation of sort of ongoing performances, mm. um, or I'm making sense of it. So some of the things that I'm writing now, directly come from other creative practices. Also, I mean, in the fall, there was actually um, a class taught by um, the poet and faculty member here, Tracy Morris, um, on interdisciplinary collaboration. So um, yeah, she's like, um, she is, she, you know, is very much a poet and considers poetry the grounding practice of all her disciplines but she's a trained actor performer scholar you know archival researcher and all of these things become a poetic practice for her so mm. you know seeing her and see learning how she thinks of it so she grounds everything in poetry that's what you know when I say you know I'm grounding everything in play that's like you know, how do you, how do you make sense when you're sort of a, a weird practitioner, <laughs> when you're non-traditional, when you are in right. between, like, how do you, and so having something to ground it is helpful. Um, and that is like a driving curiosity for me. Um, that's really, that's really interesting that for Tracy, from what you said, that like her grounding practice is 
poetry like is the is the creative practice of poetry which is its own art medium whatever whereas mm-hmm. for you like your grounding practice is play and it's not yeah. like it's not a i mean i i seek play as a is a creative process but it's not a like you know capital c like creative mm-hmm. process um so it's it's interesting that like lens like the lens like a lens is is a helpful yeah like what is the lens that i'm looking through um but yeah like back to it's like so a couple i mean um like one thing that i'm been loosely working i i collaborated my our practice involved um that were involved i've been collaborating with these toy versions of myself for many years um so i had a full body 3d scans and 3d printed these um small like these miniature toys of myself it's a series of five but i've reproduced them so there are hundreds of them and so this collaboration is ongoing um and so like over the many years like i've collaborated with them to explore like my relationship to myself to transform myself like all of this like on like very like multi-arm piece of like a lived performance of like what is it for me to become in this collaboration with myself as a as an object what is this relationship Mm -hmm. and so we've done you know video performances live performance like different essays photography um sculpture installation um then of course, like there's this, like I'm playing with myself as this toy and learning how to play and learning how to be through these experiments. Um, yeah. So how do I present that to people? It's like, you know, this thing that has gone on and there are many, so there are like documents that emerge from it. There are performances, there's documentation of performances, there, you know, images. Um, but yeah, poetry, like, uh, under like poetry also is a way that I write about it to understand what is this and like yeah there's like my myself as a toy as a metaphor myself as a matter like there are these poetic threads that go through this body of work too but um yeah like the writing comes out of that work too or I have an ongoing project with oranges where it's like um I remember connected. those poems yeah, so there are oranges. I mean, that started. I mean, that started from this like performance lecture that I gave, and and it was about wandering and connection and place. And I handed out oranges at the end and asked people to like sort of make sculptures together with those oranges as a way to like connect. So from there, I just started started to notice like, oh, where where am I being like, where am I finding oranges in the world, and especially in Baltimore. Um, you start to really you start to encounter oranges in the wild everywhere and and when you and then and the, this connects to another thing that I like this became a ritual right that like I've now decided that arbitrarily that oranges have this connection like they have this meaning they have this spiritual significance to me so that when I just like encounter an orange I can like be like oh this means this thing and start writing poetry to them and like document them and and create this relationship and then I would share that on social media. And so, and so then, and I called the, it's transformational orange sculptures. And then some, you know, then I could like interact and like how I like create shared oranges with people. And so it became this like point of connection to people and to the universe. And 
then people noticed that I sort of had this ongoing like relationship with oranges. So people started sending me oranges. And, <laughs> and then, you know, how many people over the years have been like, every time I see an orange, I think of you. So now mm-hmm. I've like manipulated them into like thinking of me so I can be like, wow, I've created this system where like people think of me when they like encounter oranges. And that's mm-hmm. nice, like to know that people are thinking of me. Um, not in an ego is it's like, oh, like we connect, like mm-hmm. there's this connection because of this fruit. And like, then though, I'm kind of, you know, it's like, I, this semester wrote a poem um, called Every Orange is a Conspiracy Theory. I know it's a short poem, but, and I turned it in and then walking home on the curb, just like perfectly a full orange is just like sitting on the curb. And I will say, Baltimore oranges everywhere. Iowa City, very clean. Like there, I don't, you know, so like there's a little bit like less spiritual connection in my surroundings now just because I don't encounter a lot of oranges in the wild here. And so, but on the other side, it makes like when I do encounter them in the wild, it's like, that's that much more meaningful. Mm -hmm. But so it's like, you see these patterns and it's like all of a sudden very beautiful that I like turn in this poem about signs and oranges. And then I walk home and there's a perfect orange just sitting like waiting for me to find it. Um, And so, so yeah, that, that the oranges then become also a common theme in poems or I write poems to oranges or they come up to mean all of this stuff. And so I've really been thinking about ritual recently because I mean, with play and we've talked about meditation and like, even like what is like that ritual, I think about like, I don't, like I'm very, I've become very spiritual, you know, and, and have all these practices. Poetry is one of them, but like when I'm thinking of that, it's like, how do we craft meaning? And it's like, do I really like what it, it, and it's not even about belief. It's like, it's like a decision of like, well, like I can make my life more meaningful by deciding that oranges mean this. And it's not a belief system. It's like, it's this imagine imaginative play with like what it is to like be here, um, which I think is less dangerous than being like I believe this thing, right? Yeah. Um, and and I'm you know I'm really into astrology, and people would be like, oh, I don't believe in astrology, and I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't think about believing in astrology either. It's like it's like a weather thing. It's like a way of making sense of something. Mm-hmm. It's like a way that I understand energy, but also I don't need to be attached to it as a belief, you know? So like the oranges are like that too. Um, and that's what, you know, poetry is like this ritual of making meaning of an instance. And that, that is like playful and fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I think I, I, it's interesting to me because this is this is a, a thought that I've had that feels like it's been vindicated a little bit just from kind of what you've been you've been saying given that your meditation practice. I don't know if you adhere to Buddhism at all, but um, I was thinking about and that sort of what you said about like giving your or like your your life is more meaningful now that you've sort of chosen to like incorporate this like like oranges as a thing that are meaningful in your life um but when i was sort of looking into buddhism um as a sort of like not necessarily a belief structure but just a sort of like i don't know just like way to exist in the world um it was interesting encountering the sort of 
them Buddhists arriving, or I guess Buddhist thought arriving at the same place that, um, like the existentialists arrive at, but it's not for the existentialists. What is this like earth shattering, you know, like suicidal almost end of like life is meaningless. There's no meaning. It's just pure absurdity. And it's this like, everything's capital. Everything's like all caps, bold text screaming from the rooftop sort of a thing. For Buddhism, it seems like it is like they arrive at that same idea, but it is a much smaller, much less like, I guess, non-attached to It's like, yeah, of course. Of course this doesn't mean anything. But like, go do something. You know, it's like, it's like it's, yeah. it's, it's not this like heavy weight that's, that's pushing them down into an existential crisis. It's just a sort of like, well, yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. um, and it feels like freer and in that in that regard of like you know in instead of a you know like similarly with um i don't know which exist which existentialist writer had this idea that like you know life is meaningless but you can make meaning or you can give it meaning by choosing to give it meaning that's sort of you know it's like you choose to give your life meaning and it's you know it's like a big fuck you to the universe because i'm going to make this mean something and as, in buddhism it feels like it's a like Similarly, sort of what you said about the oranges, you know, it's like it's a it's a smaller choice. It's like it doesn't have to be this big thing. It's just that like it's more fun to think about oranges being this thing that connects you to a greater thing. And then by like because it's just like this fun, weird, interesting thing, like it produces that in the world. You know, it's like you said, mm -hmm. it's like you now have you're seeing oranges. And when you see that, it, it keys off in you this sort of greater like that mindfulness or the, just the sort of um, like maybe reminder of the bigger connections that you have to things. And then the fact, you know, it's like your friends, they're like, oh, I saw an orange and I thought of you. It's like that, like that integration of that sort of connection that exists now that at its core is just that like there is now a sort of um, inexorable connection that you and an orange and that person have and it's like you're like quantum entangled with each other and it's like there's this thing that exists now that didn't exist before and now it is and it's like there's the, you know, like this little bright spot in the sea of darkness it's like they're like a neurons it's like this little connection that's formed mm -hmm. um and that's cool and it's like like similar with um like astrology it's not like i feel sort of the same way about like the myers-briggs test mm -hmm. um like it's just it's a way for you to like have vocabulary to talk about things that people observe and categorize and like um just you know like make note of in the world yeah um, but yeah it's not it's not this, like a capital b belief thing it's just like oh cool well, you know it's like that's an interesting way to think about this that's like this might help explain some things about me or this gives me like a framework to talk about this stuff but like you know or like tarot to me is also one of those is one yeah. of those things that like it's like, of course, it's not this thing that, I mean, I know that there are some people believe that is that it is a, like a, an access to the, like, I don't know, like the universal unconscious or like some, some <clears throat> magic or some mysticism that exists. And like, I don't want to step on those beliefs if that's, if you're listening and that's what you, how you feel about tarot. Cool. Um, <laughs> the way that I sort of feel that it is, or the way that I sort of engage with it is that it's almost a like... it's like a validation for your either unconscious or subconscious or your intuition that like, because there are so many ways that you can interpret these things. And because they, you know, it's like, I've, I've read through like tarot guides and like, you know, each 
major arcana can mean one of like five or six different things depending upon whatever um or maybe even more than that so you know it's like when they show up there's probably something that's been kicking around inside of you that when you see that confirms this thing for you so like you are seeking this outside validation for this thing that you probably already know but you just you don't have the like the image or the words or the context to be like oh that's what that is um and it's like in that way it's like i like that could be magic like i'm not going to discount that that's like that is a thing it's like giving giving voice or giving uh presence or giving insight to it's like a confirmation of a thing that you knew that's like you're you're bringing it into reality for yourself it's like that like if that's not the definition of magic i don't know what the fuck is yeah um yeah, absolutely. Yeah, why not just decide to be mad? It's like I'd rather live in my existence like with the idea of magic. Yeah. And then not and whatever that looks like as a system. Yeah, and and to speak like uh, um I think bringing up like I think, you know, talking about some of the stuff of like attachment and ritual and meditation and and ego and and in my writing like I'm definitely definitely influenced by um buddhist thought and and read a lot and practice like different guided like buddhist meditations um so that's an influence i am like hesitant to like speak about it <laughs> like as as um you know uh, just but um but i am really yeah interested in like nothingness not like the potential of like liberation through nothingness or like even with the orange when you were like talking about this connection it's like like through Buddhism and meditation and I, it's like, we're all interconnected. Like there isn't a separation. There is that nothingness and through nothingness, like we are all, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that really has helped me in creative practice and like poetry and like how I like relate to anything I'm making, mm-hmm. like in the context of what we've been talking about of, of the like letting go of like good or bad or like the ego attachment to it. Um, and 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 in like what can often happen as sort of like toxic competition too it's like there's no scarcity like we can all be writing poems and like if someone else wrote the poem that i was thinking it's like if i like lose an idea you know it like someone else will find that poem and write it how they needed to write it like it's not mine Mm -hmm. but if i happen to be the one that like catches it and writes it not that I'm, you know, I, I know some people are like, oh, this has been divinely interpreted. And, you know, it's more like, you know, how astrology, there's there's energy that we're affected by. And just like creatively, there, you know, there are like things floating around that we get influenced by. There's collective, you know, collective ideas that. <laughs> so, yeah, and the oranges are kind of like that. It's like a, yeah, a representation of that interconnection. Um so yeah, those are all things that are important to me. Well, that was speaking to like the the non-competition, um, like that was something that like I always, I don't know if I ever really thought about it throughout grad school, but I'm sure that there was this idea that like you know there was only so many spaces for like a poet out there, <laughs> and then when I was when I was working with my thesis group, it was so eye-opening because. Of the, I don't know, like eight or nine of us, nobody fucking wrote anywhere near similar to anybody else 
it's like there was nine very distinct voices and you know like some of the theming might have been similar some of the imagery or like you know um using nature like i'm i predominantly write to and about nature um i don't know why i was pointing over there there's nothing over there on <laughs> the wall um in my head, it's a whole like forest. Yeah, that's in my head too. Although the fact that on this side there's a plant uh, like shelf that I could have been pointing at, but whatever. Um, but you know, it's like it, it was. Everyone had, and even like like, like even if we're using similar images, and this is this is something that I would be really interested in, either as a like an anthology idea or like a class writing prompt, um, that you get like an image or an emotion or, you know, like a sort of base experience, whatever. And like, mm -hmm. that is the thing. And then everybody writes their own interpretation of that just to show that's like, even if you have the, the same fucking starting point, where you wind up is going to be so wildly different because everybody is so wildly fucking different from each other. Like no one has had the same life experience. No one sees the world or experiences things the exact same way. So in that way, it's like everybody has their own unique um, perspective and their own unique way of seeing and experiencing a thing. And like, that's f absolutely fantastic. And it's a shame that like, that's like even and especially in art and other artists, you know, like across the mediums, there is a sense of competition. It's mm -hmm. like if there's one place that competition shouldn't exist, it's in a... a like a, a practice that is basically just self-expression. It's like, who the fuck could you compete against if you're just expressing yourself? Like that makes no fucking sense to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's a, and the, well, this isn't, you know, it's like coming from um, sort of academic art training and like understanding um, in visual art, it, even it's like, it's sort of, it's like the poet, you know, I, I want to like not put a lot of weight on like disciplinary divide, but then there are also like ways that these cultures, you know, and you, there are disciplines and there are cultures to those disciplines. Mm -hmm. And like with visual art, you also have this like commercial market mm -hmm. that, you know, and like the art object and like the weight of capitalism in that. Mm -hmm. um, and I have more of an understanding of that system um, and, and how even, I mean, at this point too, it's like the better that capitalist art market is doing, the more like avant-garde, you know, like counter non-commercial arts have resources because it's still tied into that and still tied into resources and funding. So it's like, you know, we've, even like with a more conservative era the art art has just been so conservative for you know this time um mm -hmm. and like we keep having to fight the same fights with what art is it's mm -hmm. like you think like oh you know you know fluxus you know did this stuff in the 60s and 70s and like but then it just gets co-opted by the institutions and we're still like trying to like have the same questions of like, what is art? Mm -hmm. That's been something I have brought this up on many, many podcast episodes. Um, but it's, it's something that 
I don't know if it's changing. I don't know if it has changed. I don't know if this has never been an accurate uh, perception of the reality of this, but I feel like in my experience, poetry is one of the weird, like few places as far as, um, I don't know, like artistic mediums go that like, it feels like there's no real competition that exists. <laughs> Because, and I think that this is a, a, a really interesting point, or I think maybe the primary reason is, it's like there's no, like, especially in the United States right now, there's no money in poetry, like, at all. Um, yeah. And like, I mean, the, go to the bookstore and the section is like, right, you know, yeah. And like, it's always the tiniest section. Yeah. Like, I, I judge bookstores on what their poetry section looks like. Um, and the fact that, like, I feel like at one point, um, like going into a Barnes and Noble, like it had its own shelf, and now I've gone into some, and it's like half a shelf shared with like um, playwright or like drama uh, or like scripts or whatever. Um, yeah. And you know, like there is nobody that I know of, with the exception of like maybe an Instagram poet or two, but I don't even know. <laughs> like it feels like like I don't know. I, I haven't heard anything about Rupi Carr in. A handful of years like i don't know what she's doing oh she just had a netflix documentary come out so oh really okay hmm. i think it's on netflix she um, has a documentary now i haven't watched it yet but is it on like is it, right. is it is it about her is it on poetry do you know what it's like what the i think it's about her okay um, she might be something about her okay but like you know so aside <laughs> from like maybe a handful of instagram poets like there's nobody that i know of that could that has made a living like no published poet or like famous with a heavy heavy air quotes and a ton of asterisks next to it um that has made a living being just a poet yeah you know it's like they're they might write other kinds of books yeah or like or they teach usually it's they there are they're educators um like even Mary Oliver, like the one person that I could like if I, if there is anybody out there that I could see being just a poet it would be her but she taught for years yeah. um and you know it's it's so in, like when i was the thing the thing that really sort of like clued me into that the poetry world is so like small but just so weird too is that when i was at the studio center i was talking to another poet and i mentioned jane hirschfield who i thought you know it's like feels like she's a pretty well-known poet within poet circles and like this dude had never heard of her before and i was <laughs> like oh fuck like even somebody that i thought was you know like a big name poet is still like you know that reach is it's really small like billy collins i could see being maybe the most well-known contemporary <laughs> poet but even that is like like you would have like it would be i don't know it's yeah. the way that the united states handles or like interacts with and just sort of the place that poetry has in the united states is so weird to me because it seems like there's so many other countries and so many other like cultures in which poetry is like intrinsically tied to activism and protest and mm -hmm. um you know like poets carry a um almost like a vox populi sort of position it's like they're mm -hmm. the voice of the people they're tapping into something that is that is a current that is running through everything or running under everything and in the united states it's just like, like nobody gives a shit honestly 
which is weird and like sad but also feels like of the of the like creative mediums that are out there it feels like poetry has the most room to kind of just fuck around and play with because no one's paying attention like no one's looking you can do whatever the hell you want to do no one cares um well i must say so like you know in my vision like i'm a was a am performance artist so i say i think performance artists i talk about (laughs) this tendency to be attracted towards the you know the media that um (laughs) are consistently maybe the least um, uh, financially uh, <laughs> grounded. Uh, yeah. Which, you know, I obviously, I understand why I'm that way, but <laughs> also, <laughs> you know, it makes things complicated. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think performance occupy, and, you know, I, I, I am, I mean, I'm curious and I'm trying to think through for my own practice. You touched on this, but like how they relate and specifically I've been, one of the puzzles in my mind is how um, how to integrate more this sort of like somatic practice with poetry, with performance, with ritual, and and with play. Like, what is it to like invite other people into that? So, mm-hmm. how could maybe this form that incorporates all these aspects be maybe in, in interactive or performative? Um, I don't know what that'll look like, but yeah. Well, that's also like you, a little bit of a diversion, but <laughs> it's a really, it's really interesting. That's like, it feels like at least currently or in the in the current poetry climate that the only really performative poetry that you get is like spoken word um, stuff. It's like that's like per- performance poetry, but it is a very like, it feels like it's a pretty maybe not narrowly defined, but it feels like like it has its own constraints and its own forms and its own like it exists as a particular thing so in thinking about like the ways that you can perform i mean aside from like a poetry reading which you know i feel like toes really toes the line barely to like a poetry performance Mm -hmm. uh quote unquote um yeah that's a really that's a really interesting like space because it feels like it would be if it was like a performance performance it would be like a monologue you mm-hmm. know like set up that sort of like experimental play type stuff or spoken word or slammed stuff which it's like there's there's got to be other ways that that can those things yeah. can like intersect with, with each other i think yeah separate of that in my mind it's like okay well like poetry will probably be more of like an expansive sense of po- like what is poetry in the body right that mm-hmm. um what and, and how is that performance that might look less like what we know of as a poem mm-hmm. but that yeah i mean i've seen so, some, i've seen some like modern dance stuff that i feel like probably gets pretty close to like, yeah. like what poetry would look like as just a purely like physically bodily performed thing mm-hmm. um Yeah, there's something that I'm working towards, some kind of breakthrough between these things that isn't not formed yet, but I'm interested. And maybe it will be a failure and I will be very happy with that to like loop Um, That's so, that's so interesting. Like I, the two, the two main like artistic forces in my life are poetry and music. And mm -hmm. have a very clear, you know, 
connection. Well, it's, it's interesting because as, as you were talking about, like all the different ways that your, your various art practices sort of intersect with each other, like it feels like poetry and music for me are very like separate. Oh, interesting. Um, and actually I was thinking about, I had this idea um, back when I was thinking about potentially going to um, get a PhD in creative writing, um, which is not off the table, but it's very yeah. it's close to the edge of the table. <laughs> There's a bunch of stuff stacked up in front of it. Um, the idea that like, so I uh, experience and relate to music almost purely emotionally. Um, like if I'm listening to a song and I have my eyes closed, like I don't get images, I don't get colors. It's, it's a, like an emotional experience. Um, and I relate to and experience poetry also as an emotional experience. Um, so if play is the thing that is sort of your grounding, um, like or your, the lens through which your, your art sort of is processed, emotional experiences is the way that I think my art is, is processed through. Um, cause the way that I see it is that like music for me has always been a, like a direct transposition of emotion. It's like, I can feel a thing. I can make music that is that feeling and the audience or whoever it is that whoever's listening to it. Um, if I do my job as a, as a musician, will feel that thing it's like it is a it's a direct one-to-one-to-one -to -one -to -one sort of thing poetry on the other hand for me feels like it is translation that it's like there is an emotional experience or thing that i have and it is a thing that exists in some place beyond words but i i have to do my in poetry the job is to take that experience and put it in words in such a way that it can be conveyed to a reader or whatever but because it's translation, it feels like there's always stuff that is lost. You know, it's like there's a, a texture or a quality or just, you know, something that doesn't, it's not a direct correlation. Um, mm -hmm. And then haiku exists as like as close to the, like the edge of using like close to the like voiceless and languageless description of a thing as you can mm -hmm. get to and still use, at least in my mind, still use language because you are, you're like boiling an emotional, at least the way that I, I, I've come to sort of understand haiku. Um, and this is sort of more informed um, my, like my non haiku writing practice um, is that you like, you have an emotional experience. You recognize that it is something that exists beyond language that you can't convey. So you take that experience and distill it down to the, like the image essence of that thing that's just like the scaffolding and you give it to a reader and then the reader sort of reads it and then fills in all of the rest of the stuff to get, you know, within the neighborhood or the ballpark of like what it was that you experienced. It's like, it's a weird sort of like uh, pyramid, like big base to like triangle to a point and then from a point out. Um, mm -hmm. So it's like a weird sort of um, like roundabout way to get someone to, share your emotional experience or to like to feel the things that you felt. Um, but because it, it is, you know, only really images that you were using because they are so short, because the language is usually fairly austere. It's like, you're right up on that edge of like, it would take another, you're like one or two more steps and they would, this would be 
like there'd be no more language and that to me is like that's what music is so the the project that i've I've, been, I've always been sort of kicking around um that i don't know what i will do with if i will ever do anything with it is the idea mm -hmm. of like sort of like taking the same core emotional experiences and sort of processing them through like long form poetry through haiku and through music and and also as a sort of erasure of self through that mm -hmm. Um, because haiku are very, you know, there's very rarely the, like the I pronoun, yeah. like pronouns that show up. It's usually just like the speaker is implied, the, the action is implied to have happened to a person, but it's mostly like these images that you just sort of, that exist out in this thing. Um, so it'd be the reduction of like capital I self down to like lowercase in parentheses I self into like the self is non-existent anymore um but but because of that like because of all the music that i write is uh doesn't have any lyrics like there's never been like i can't think of a way for for music and po for my music and my poetry to like intersect in a sort of meaningful way as other than just sort of being used to interpret the same thing but just sort of like the different sides mm -hmm. of it but i know it's just it was in, it's interesting like the more and more that i've that i think about and i sit with the sort of like my music and my writing practice they feel like they are separate and mm -hmm. like distinct in that there is a wide wide gulf between them um mm. just which is interesting that it's sort of like that in comparison to your artistic practices that are feel like they're all sort of like i imagine <laughs> I don't know why this image came to mind, but like, if you have a junk drawer for, full of um, uh, headphones, and you just pull out just this like rat kink tail of just like every all the headphone wires are just like connected to or like jewelry that's all just sort of like balled yeah. up together. Um, when you were talking about sort of like the interconnection between your artistic practices, that's the image that like just this like big massive ball of like everything is sort of intertwined and connected and like if you take your time you can kind of find your pathway through this thing and to point it out here but it's like it's all this just like thing yeah there's i'm, I'm very um very scattered and very curious about men like even when i'm reading you know it's like i i start 10 books and i just jump between them and so i, I really takes me a lot of I have to have some focused discipline to like stay on one book and finish it with out switching, you know, getting excited about the next one and switching a lot. Um, so my art practice is kind of, yeah. And, and I also think about, um, I mean, you know, burnout, I mean, so burnout is real in trying to like balance to create a practice and survive, you know, in our, you know, U.S. society hypercapitalism um, mm -hmm. is really, really hard. And um, yeah. one the reason, big, big reason that I, the reason, you know, I mean, that I came back to school is to have time and space to focus on on writing and and reading and um, yeah. Um, so, so I think a lot about like inner. I don't know energy management, right? Right. Because <laughs> yeah. like even even as these practices inform each other poetry and i've been thinking about like the difference in like 
how I approach poetry as a process and um, how I might work on a performance. Um, and what kind, or, you know, I do some collaging, which is a different energy or like where maybe, you know, if I'm not feeling like the writing is coming, I might do something more tactile. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's a way of sort of energy management, but also that writing uh, and, and like with this like system of burnout, like in the past, it's like, I, you know, I would apply to shows, have a performance of a show lined up and have a proposal of the work, but really like, use that deadline, you know, structured deadlines to keep working, mm -hmm. like have this like creation of an external system that then made me accountable to getting that project done. And then, you know, that would look like, okay, having two or three projects a year and the bulk of my creative work would either be at a residency mm -hmm. where I'm exploring and have that space away, or, you know, because I have a deadline coming slacking off on some of these other responsibilities and prioritizing that deadline um and too with like getting ready for a performance or a visual show it's like it's more like a focused like focused intense like drive to like get that show done and mounted you know there are objects that takes up space um so it's a different flow whereas like writing it's just always sort of accumulating mm -hmm. like it's, it is more, um, I'm not, I, I, I write a lot. I don't have trouble sitting around and playing and writing. Fortunately here, I haven't sort of come up against blocks. There, there have been periods of time, you know, where mm -hmm. it's, it's not as readily at the surface. And, mm -hmm. um, but I'm not someone who wakes up in the morning and writes, you know, I'm a night writer. I, I'm, a, you know, in the scattered way, I, I get into the sort of manic flow state and, you know, stay up and get riled up and, you know, write for hours. Um, but at the same, you know, it's like, you don't, I, with my writing, it's not like I have, I don't have a, a, a deadline to put up a show and present it to the world. Like I'm slowly accumulating material that slowly will form a manuscript that slowly, hopefully will take birth into the world. I'm, I can, you know, I share poems excitedly with friend, friends randomly who unsolicited to just get, you know, my poems when I'm excited to share and make them listen to them um, when I have drafts, like, but it's uh, that energy, you know, so it's like, I can sometimes like that daily accumulation of writing is very energizing. And then, you know, if that energy well is drying up, you can read or you can switch to another discipline that then might inform it. But yeah, really, where where is the energy coming from? What is energizing at the moment? How do I meet that energy? If I'm feeling blocked with writing, don't focus on that. And we started, you know, before we, we, we were talking about um, sort of these tasks, right, that, mm -hmm. that are putting pressure on us that we need to get done, but then can't you know, it's not happening. And, and so there's like, that's an, like focusing on the thing that the energy is not meeting, right? Mm -hmm. Like becomes an energy drain. So what does it mean to be like, no, like, okay, I can't, I don't have the energy to do this, even though I feel like I should be doing this. But like this other thing right now is something that I can focus on. That's like maybe making a collage or playing music is going to be something that's more like recuperating energy for me or socialize, you know, or right. biking or like playing or like all of these things. 
Yeah, and like to to your point, or sort of like cycling this back to the ideas of failure, that <clears throat> like if you're trying to do a thing and it's just not working out, instead of being like, oh, you know, it's, I need to get this done, and you're just banging your head against it, you're like, okay, well, it's obvious that I can't. Like I had an experience of this earlier this week that like I I needed to do some editing, and I was just having a really emotionally like just draining and just kind of I was not I was having a, a big case of mopes. Um, and I was like, I got to do this editing. And it was not like, I did, I got through the manuscript, but I know that I didn't read it closely. And I was just sort of like mm -hmm. half there. And I was like, I should have done afterwards. I was like, I mean, I feel good that I made it through the manuscript at least once so far, but I don't, I don't feel great about how I made it through, <laughs> through the mm -hmm. manuscript. And, you know, instead of like, I could have used this lesson then of like, you know, it's not like, it's not a failure. If it's not working out, you can just, it's just not working out. Just go do like, yeah. go, there's a, other things that I could have been, I could have been working on probably a layout that would have been, you know, like easier for me to, to deal with emotionally. But um, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes instead of pushing through to maybe not even working on something else, maybe like the best thing you can do is just like a lay on the floor and wail and roll around and, yeah, I mean, it was one of the, one of the, the two nights thing. that I that uh, my partner has off that's like I could have been hanging out with her. And like afterwards, I was like, um, I kept apologizing to her that I didn't spend time with her. And I was like, oh, this is probably indicative of the fact that there's like I should have just been hanging out with her, just you know, <laughs> spending time with her. And instead, I just, you know, I pushed through writing a, uh, doing a, a manuscript. But yeah. Um, okay, I feel like we're coming to the yeah, end, we've been, the end of good. our recording. Um, but I have two questions that I traditionally ask all of my guests at the end of the recording. Um, the first question is, if you have the vocabulary for it, uh, what is your internal landscape like? Um, I have this image. So I did this, um, had this like reading with someone who... Um, gave me this image there was this process to it and a transformation but ultimately there's this like puppy dinosaur creature in a meadow rolling around um and playing and so yeah the puppy dinosaur is one that i keep going back to like connecting with interesting huh is it like I mean, I guess it's not an internal, it's like, you know, me in no, a land. You, you can interpret this, this question, <laughs> however it is that you want to interpret it. Um, yeah. Oh, that, you know, I, it's, when I ask people this, this question, um, more often than not, the answer that they give, I'm like, oh yeah, that makes complete and total sense. And like, that makes complete and total sense that, <laughs> especially given the, what, like the fact that play <laughs> sort of the, the conversational monopoly um, <laughs> of this of this recording but huh so do you like in this in this scenario with the the puppy dinosaur creature like do you feel like that is a representation of you do you feel like that is a thing that is separate from you that you were watching that you identify with like is it i'm the, yeah i'm the puppy dinosaur i'm you know the goal is to be connected and and living authentically as the puppy dinosaur okay so that is like it's almost like an aspirational thing it's like that is the like the the capital t capital s like true self and that is the thing that you were trying to like <laughs> approach 
Yeah, a, yeah, to be in the world as the puppy dinosaur. Interesting. Frolicking. Is there like is the the is it the act is like is it the the act that this creature is frolicking is like the act of frolicking the important thing, and it could be re regardless of um, or irrespective of, of like anywhere like is it the fact that it's in a meadow is that important or is it just yeah i feel like the meta yeah like i, I yeah i want to be in like yeah okay. uh nature is i mean that yeah definitely i would be the puppy dinosaur in some kind of very natural green lush sunny and i feel like of like of natural landscapes meadows is, is probably the most like inviting to like a sort of very lighthearted play yeah yeah that's that's really cool that's really interesting are there like what are the like what are the flowers that are blooming in this meadow oh i am envisioning you know some like very nice like wispy grasses mm, and okay and yellow like little yellow you know yeah, okay um, flowers um prairie flowers i guess yeah. i like that i like that butterflies of course <laughs> of course yeah. um okay cool that's that's this one like the since i've been asking or since i at first asked a guest this and it's become a, a traditional question it is one of my favorite things to ask people um, <laughs> it's a good question because it feels like it, it like it is so relevatory I don't know really of what, but it just it feels like it is a is a, some some big form of relevatory act to, to answer this question. Um, but poets oh, too. <laughs> I mean, that's ex almost Spending exclusively so who I'm talking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so my my second and last question is: Is there anything that you would like to ask me? Ooh. Um. Yeah. <laughs> what is it? Um. Yeah, what do you, how do you feel about 2020? How's this year? How's that? I mean, and we're kind of, is this the first, we're kind of at the beginning emerging into this year and um, yeah, how do you feel starting this year and with poetry and practices and um, connection and community? Hopefully we'll have residencies again, but like, yeah, I feel like there, there might be a lot of a transition I'm curious about. Uh, so it's, it's, it, it got off to a rough start. Uh, my partner and I got COVID on Christmas. Mm. Um, so it was a really a rough way to end and then begin a year. Um, but I'm feeling like cautiously optimistic. Um, it's always a weird, I don't know why I have this relationship to like things that seem to be going well in my life. There's always a, a level of like suspicion that I have towards that of like, that doesn't seem right um which i don't know i don't know where it comes from i don't know like what what the source of that is but um i've actually been not writing a ton but i since october i've been trying to do um uh two i've tried to i've been trying to write uh two poems a month usually around the middle of the month i don't know it's just sort of arbitrary i just sort of picked it um and i've been so far been able to keep that up um, it feels like a really sort of low stakes way to kind of keep writing and just making myself at least for a week, maybe a week and a half, like 
uh, intentionally and consciously open to sort of the creative practice and just, you know, like creativity and, you know, all that. Um, and there's a lot of stuff happening with the press, um, which also <laughs> feels exciting and kind of daunting. Um, I have a book launching in February. There's another one that's been launching in April. Um, there'll be two that'll be coming out over the summer. Um, and then that will leave me like three manuscripts from my first open call. And then I have all of the ones that all the people that submitted during the last open call to get through. Um, I just discovered that there's a way that in InDesign that you can print booklets to a PDF. So it's irrespective of, um, printers, which means that you can make the page sizes, whatever you want, which is revolutionary for me. And great which is oh, wow. cool. a weird little like small thing that is a total game changer yeah it's um i don't know like community is has been kind of dicey um it's been tough like making time to be with friends and i have a lot of friends now that are like starting families and stuff so it's like i i have maybe another handful of months probably to like really get time with them and then it's you know, I'm probably not going to be able to hang out with them for like a yeah. handful of years. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful that I will be able to like regain some of the community that I've lost. But I mean, I don't know. It feels like people are so like, I remember at the beginning of COVID, um, you know, I was having like movie nights with friends on the like, whatever like mutual watch apps and stuff like that and now it feels like people are just so fucking burnt out yeah like you know they don't want to be on zoom anymore they don't want to do stuff it's just um i don't know i think it's going to take a lot of work to get back to like not even how things were before because i don't know if we'll ever be able to get back there but just like back to like feeling like i have a an actual like irl uh community and like support group in baltimore like i know that they're there it's just it's just tough it's like it's mm -hmm. it's really easy for weeks to go by when you're like oh i haven't like actually physically seen you in a month and yeah. we've not missed messaged each other in yeah. twice as long as that um but yeah so i'm there's a i feel like a lot of good things are on the horizon but i'm like i said i'm ca i'm cautiously optimistic because i know how quickly things <laughs> fucking torpedoed the yeah. last last half yeah. of the years so yeah we'll see exciting with the, the press, so much happening with your press yeah. yeah yeah it's it's weird to be in that space of like i've actually been thinking about um so those of you who who follow the uh, akinoga press instagram um We'll have seen some rumblings of this, but um, I'm thinking about maybe starting a Patreon for both oh, the cool. press and maybe the the podcast too, just to have some like, um, like with the amount of like books that I'm probably hopefully going to be publishing this year and just like the cost, like the production costs and stuff like that, just to, to have like a little bit of seed money and a little bit of like, um, I don't know, you know, maybe if enough people do the patreon i could actually like start paying myself for the stuff i do with the press and like can maybe offset that a little bit with work and then because yeah i don't know so it's like i said there are things things on the horizon that hopefully will be good but i'm i'm not going to i'm not going to hold on to the <laughs> any one of those yeah. any of those things super tightly 
um, yeah. and try to do my best that if any of them don't work out to not um, dwell on the failure, but to kind of just, you know, just is a thing that happens. And <laughs> there's a, there's actually a friend of mine that's been like, she's like, she's been, she's has her own business for, I think a handful of years, but like, she's constantly rebranding and constantly figuring out, like trying to find the thing that works for her. And it was really, I don't, I haven't told her this. I probably should, but it's been really, really inspiring to see her take that, the sort of the stance of like, okay, this didn't work out. Okay. We're going to, you know, we're going to assess, we're going to change direction. We're going to figure out, you know, the next thing that we can try and just, this feels like it could work. And then, you know, it's like constantly just iterating until you find that thing. That's like, you lock into it and it's like, yes, this is like all the pieces fit all the, everything's smooth and in, in line with each other. And like, this is the thing. Um, yeah. And it's inspiring. And I mean, like if mm -hmm. it's, I feel like, I don't know. I haven't set this intention uh, for 2022, but it, it might be worth setting the intention of like, you know, being cool, <laughs> like the intention of being cool with things if they don't work out and to just yeah. like, you know, move on to finding things that do. Yeah, that's a good intention. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that you would like to, to add or share uh, at the end of this record or? Um, thank you for having me. Yeah, of that course. was really lovely to talk. Yeah. I think for my intent, I've been thinking about an intention too for 2022. It has been like, to do things with more ease and joy <laughs> and pleasure as much as I possibly can, um, to not think, make things like unnecessarily hard. I've spent many years like striving for things. I finally feel like it's, it's weird in this time that there's a little bit of space to be like, I'm not trying to solve anything right now. So open up to the ease as much as I can within everything in life. Um, <laughs> you know, find the joy where we can a little bit of like Ross gay energy. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, mean, I, think, I think that's probably a good place to stop. Just the, um, yeah. for everyone listening, um, as always, thank you. I'm, I'm grateful that people, uh, seem to be enjoying this podcast. Um, and for 2022, seek out ease and joy, make that a priority <laughs> in your life. Um, and, uh, I'll talk to y'all next time.